Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love for us and we thank you that you show that love to us in so many ways. And we thank you that you have shown your love to us by speaking to us. You did not need to speak to sinful man, but you have. And you have preserved your word in the book that we have before us, the Bible. But Lord, we need your help so much if we are to understand it. Lord, we pray that you may give me much of your Holy Spirit today to be able to speak clearly about what you have said in your word. May I be able to explain it well and may it be helpful for those who are gathered. May it build up the saints who believe in you and may I encourage those people who do not believe in you to consider who you are and what you have done in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't think you have to be a Christian and go to churches for very long before you start to realise that there are still sinful people in churches, that the people who are in churches are indeed called saints, but they don't always live like saints. They don't always live up to what they've been granted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there isn't always the love that should be in churches. It's not always there. When I was training for the ministry, I got a 12-month stint at a church as a student minister. And when I joined the staff there, paid staff, there were three other staff members. And so I was the fourth one to be added to uh, the staff. And within three months, uh, the children's minister resigned. Uh, Within eight months, the senior minister resigned. And within 11 months of me being there, the assistant minister resigned. So when I finished up there, I was the only member of the paid staff that was still there. And I don't know all the details as to why each one resigned one after the other, but I do know that there were some disagreements going on in the church, there were conflicts between personalities, and there wasn't the love shown that probably we would expect between people who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so it's not surprising that in the Bible we find a lot of commands for Christians to love one another. And Peter also speaks about loving the family of God. Just like the Apostle John, particularly in 1 John, he speaks a lot about how we're supposed to love one another. And so Peter, in this passage that we're looking at this morning, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, tells us to love our brothers. And so if you've got a Black Church Pew Bible, I encourage you to open it up to page 1200. And we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 to the end of the chapter, to verse 25. But we see the command to love there in verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. There is only one command given in this passage, and that is to love one another deeply from the heart. But before we look at why, um, how we are to love our family, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to look at why we should love our family. Is it obvious that we should love our family, or should we have reasons? And Peter gives us two reasons in the text why we should love our brothers and sisters in Christ, why we should love our fellow Christians. And so my first main point this morning is that we should love Christians because you have purified yourselves. You have purified yourselves and so you're supposed to love the fellow Christians. And that's given to us in verse 22. 
Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Because you purified yourself so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, not a hypocritical, insincere love, you have a sincere love for them, you're supposed to love your brothers deeply from the heart. But what does it mean that we've purified ourselves? Well, there's two ways that we've purified ourselves as Christians. One way is by embracing the gospel, by repenting of our sins and believing in Jesus' death for us. We are pure. We are no longer sinners before God. We, our sins are no longer counted towards us, but instead they have been removed and put on Jesus' shoulders at the cross. And so we are pure in God's eyes because we have been washed in Jesus' blood. And so we've purified ourselves by obeying the truth, by obeying that command, that truth that God has given us to believe in Jesus. We are considered pure. But there's also another aspect. As we are Christians, we work at being pure as we are pure. Christ has purified us through his work at the cross, but we gradually become more and more holy by purifying ourselves, by becoming more and more obedient to the truth, as the text says. And so we're supposed to be pure, and so then we're supposed to love others. That's the whole purpose we're given here as to why we purified ourselves. That's one of the purposes of being pure. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that, look at those two little connecting words, when you see those in the uh, English translations, they're very important because they're giving you a purpose statement. Because you purified yourselves so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply. The purpose of being purified is so that you're able to love with a sincere love your brothers and sisters. And that makes sense because when we sum up all the commands of God in the Bible, what do they come down to? What does Jesus boil down all the commandments that God has given us? Love God and love our neighbours as ourselves. We're supposed to be loving. That's why we've gone through the purification process. That's why we've embraced Jesus Christ. Peter is saying, that's why you've become a Christian. That's why you're working on sanctification, so that you can love your brothers. And so if you aren't loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, you aren't loving fellow Christians, then it shows that you aren't pure. It shows that you haven't been purified because you're not loving. If you are purified, you will be loving. If you're not loving, then you aren't purified. We're supposed to be loving. That's the purpose of being pure. We're supposed to love those people who are fellow Christians with us. So that's the first reason that we're given. Because we're pure, we're supposed to love. The second reason is given in the later verses and that's to love Christians because you have been born again. And we see that in verse 23. You see that little word at the beginning of verse 23, for, and that shows that we've got something connecting with the previous, uh, uh, the previous words about loving one another deeply from the heart. And so we've got a second reason given to us. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Because you've been born again, you're supposed to love the family of God. You're supposed to love other Christians. What does it mean to be born again? Well, it means to become a Christian. It means that you hear the gospel, you hear 
about Jesus' death for you and you embrace it. And what happens inside you is you are brought to new life. Previously, you were dead in your sins, the Bible says. But then you're born again and then you believe, you repent of your sins and believe that Jesus died for you. And that means that you're supposed to love others. But why? Why does being born again mean that you're supposed to love the family of God? How does that work in? Well, I think that there's, it's because it means that we're all part of the same family. It's because family bonds are very strong, and if we've all been born again the same birth, then we're supposed to love one another. You consider who you're physically related to, your siblings, your brothers and sisters, uh, your parents, your mum and dad, your grandparents, your cousins, your aunts and uncles. The bond between you and them is a special bond. There's a special love that you have for family that you don't have for your friends. There's meant to be, even if there's not, a special love that you have for those that you're related to by blood. And it usually does produce quite strong relationships. And one of the reasons, I think, is because you have so much in common. You have the same people generally gathered when it comes to Christmas and Easter and other family celebrations. You're always seeing the same people. And you've also got the same experiences. One of the things that whenever you join a family uh, for a meal, you start to hear these stories of what happened between brothers and sisters when they were younger and they've got those same experiences and they dwell on the fact that we went on holidays to this particular place. And so there's this great familiarity between people and they love one another because they've shared the same experiences and they've shared those experiences with the same people. And so they love one another based on those mutual uh, experiences that they've had with one another. And when you struggle to love other people, it's also expected, when it's uh, your physical family, that you're going to love them despite what they may do to you, that you're expected to persevere in your love for them. There's that saying that you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. You may be able to reject uh, your friends, but you can't stop your brother or sister being your brother or sister. They will always be connected to you, whether you like it or not. And it's very possible that your parents will invite your brother or sister along to family occasions, even if you don't want them there. Whereas if you break up with a girlfriend... It's unlikely that your parents will invite the girlfriend, the ex-girlfriend, round to your place for dinner, for, to their place for dinner when you are there. But they will continue inviting family, despite what disagreements you may have with them. And so there's always this persistent, uh, inbuilt uh, desire that is, or at least an obligation that you recognise, to love your family. And I think, just as we do that with physical family... Peter is saying it's the same with your spiritual family. It's the same with Christians. You are born again, all of you. You've got the same birth. You've been born into the same family. And you're all connected by blood. You're connected by the blood of Jesus Christ. Whether you like it or not, your Christian family is your Christian family. 
You're connected by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you're all born together. And the way that Peter describes it here, I think he really is trying to make that connection. He says uh, in verse 22, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers... That word love for your brothers there, it's one Greek in the, uh, one word in the Greek, Philadelphia, brotherly love. And usually that was used for the relationship that you had with brothers connected by blood. Your physical family. And here he's using that same word but saying, it's for Christians too. You're connected by blood. And I think, just like with the physical family, one of the reasons that we're so strong with other Christians is because we share the same experiences. We've shared the same experience of being born again, of recognising that we are sinners and in need of a saviour and embracing Jesus Christ. We've shared the same experiences of reading the Bible, the same interests and and prayer and the same persecutions at times can be devoted to us, just like some families experience persecution from another uh, group of people and so they bond together strongly. It's the same with the Christian family. They bond together because they have the same experiences. They have the same reminiscences together because they've been on uh, church lunch together or outings and we remember that church camp where we're all together and so they have that same experience there and so they have this familiarity which bonds them together and in the end it's the same with your spiritual family as it is with your physical family you can choose your friends but you can't choose your Christian family they're your brothers and sisters in Christ whether you like it or not And so you have this obligation to always work at building a relationship with those people that you may not even get along with very well. They will still show up at church on Sunday. The rest of the family is not going to bar them just because you've got a disagreement with them. They're still invited along to things, just like your parents will still invite the sister that you're fighting with along to things. They will always be there. They're going to show up again and again. And so I think Peter is saying here, love your brothers and sisters because you've got the same experience of being born born again. You're all born into the same family. You're meant to have Philadelphia. You're meant to have love for your brothers and sisters. That's one way I think that born again is a reason for us to love. I think the other reason why being born again makes us love Christians is because it means that we are all in eternal relationships with one another. I think this is what verse 24 is getting at. It says there in verse 24, For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Your family in Christ is going to live forever. You are born of seed that is imperishable. You have eternal life. And this is in stark contrast to non-Christians. They are born of seed that is perishable. They haven't got the new birth. You were once like them, but now you're different. You've been born again. You are going to live forever. They are just like the grass. And all the good that they do, all their beauty, all their glory is like the flowers of the field. It eventually dies and perishes. The flowers fall, the grass withers. That's what's going to happen to other people. Being born again means that the relationships that you have with Christians are the ones that will last. And I think that's why Peter says we should love them. Because they will always be around. Relationships come and go. You 
make different friends over your lifetime, but you don't stay friends with everyone, do you? Often the reason we're friends with people is because we're in the same place, we're at the same school together, we're in the same classes together, and then once you stop being in those classes, you stop being friends with them. Once you leave school, you stop being friends with them, and then you start in a particular workplace, you're good friends with the people there, but as soon as you move away from that workplace, leave that job, you're no longer friends with those people. Friendships come and go. But the relationships that you have with Christians will last forever. All other relationships that you have with non-Christians will eventually disappear. When Jesus returns and sends non-Christians to hell and Christians to eternal life, a big division is made between non-Christians and Christians and all the relationships that you have with non-Christians will be broken and will disappear. But those relationships that you have with Christians will continue because you'll still be in the same place together. You'll still have the same interests. You'll still be interested in God. You'll still be interested in Jesus. You'll still be interested in loving him and praising him and singing together uh, about him. And so that will continue and go on and on forever. And so those are the relationships that I think Peter wants us to invest in because they're going to go on and on. The people that you know in this room as Christians are people you're going to know for eternity. Make sure you love them and encourage them and look after them. Now, this sounds sad for the non-Christians in your life, doesn't it? That all the non-Christian relationships that you have and enjoy, they're going to be broken and disappear. Well, I want to encourage you, if that makes you sad, do the one good thing that you can do for your non-Christian friends. The best thing that you can do for them Share the gospel with them. Encourage them to become Christians so that the bond you have with them will be an imperishable bond because you are both born again and will be with them for eternity in heaven. And if you're not a Christian you're here this morning, do you realize that you are like the grass and like the flowers of the field? All that you do that is good will one day wither and die and you will as well. Become a Christian today. Repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus' death for you so that the relationships that you have with Christians will go on and on forever and will never be broken. Don't delay. Do it now. Be sorry for your sins. Believe in Jesus' death for you. So those are the two, re- those are the two reasons for Christians to love their family. You're supposed to love them because you're pure, and that was a purpose. You're supposed to love them because you've been born again, and that means they're an eternal family, and they're family, so you're supposed to love family. Third main point this morning is then, how do we love our family? We've been convinced that, yes, we're supposed to do so. We're supposed to love our fellow Christians. How are we supposed to do so? Well, Peter tells us, He tells us two ways that we're supposed to love our family. He tells those to us in verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply. He wants you to love deeply. What does it mean to have a deep love for your family, for your brothers and sisters in Christ? 
Well, another way you could translate this is by eagerly and fervently. So it's not a shallow love, it's a deep love, which means it's an eager love. It's a fervent love, a real desire, a hungering to love those people that are your family. And another way it could be translated is constantly or perseveringly. And so it's not a love that is there one day, while it's very easy to love that particular Christian, but the next week they offend you in some way, and so you find that I don't feel like loving them anymore. I used to love them, but not now at the moment. No, we're meant to have a deep love, that we love that person constantly and perseveringly, and we love all of them that way. And then the other way that we're supposed to love them, it says there, have sincere love for your brothers, in verse 22, love one another deeply from the heart. We're meant to love one another wholeheartedly, not just intellectually where we say, oh yes, of course I love other Christians. We're meant to really love other Christians with our whole heart and say, yes, I do love the family of God. It is difficult at times, but yes, I do love them. It's kind of like it's the opposite of what you have with your family, sometimes your physical family, where with your brothers and sisters, I've got older sisters and I had many disagreements with my older sisters. And my dad would say, do you love your sisters? Of course I love my sisters. But that's just an intellectual uh, statement that, yes, of course, I love Sarah. But I'm meant to love her wholeheartedly because she is my family. Even if I don't like her all the time and what she does to me, I'm supposed to love her not just intellectually but with my heart. And it's the same with your Christian brothers and sisters. They may offend you. They will offend you. But you're supposed to continue loving them. Not just saying, yes, of course I love them, but really loving them, loving them with your whole self. And then the other way that we're supposed to love our family is, of course, by knowing them. Now, that may seem pretty obvious. He says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. But he doesn't say know them there in the text, but he does say have sincere love for your brothers. How are you going to love people Love your brothers and sisters in Christ if you don't know who they are. You're going to have to know them. You're going to have to look around you at the people who present themselves to you in, their, in your life and say, are they my brothers and sisters? Look at their confession. Do they believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins? If they don't, then they're not your brothers and sisters. If they deny fundamentals of the Christian faith, like Jesus being God, then they're not your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then you look at their works. If they say, yes, of course, I've repented and believed, and yes, Jesus is God, and they don't deny the fundamentals of the Christian faith, that still doesn't necessarily make them a, a brother or sister in Christ. It's a good start, but you should be looking at their lives to see whether their lives match up with what they're saying. Many people profess Christ, but that doesn't necessarily make them Christians. We can say all kinds of things to get our way in life. We can lie about believing in Christ. And so you've got to look at people who present themselves to you and say, 
Do they live like Christians? If they don't, then you've got a doubt whether they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. So you've firstly got to know who they are so that you can love them. And then the other thing you've got to do is get to know them. You may know that they're a Christian, but do you really know them? How are you going to love someone if you don't know anything about them? You don't know what their particular needs are, what their concerns are, what their desires are, how they're struggling with a particular sin and in what way they really need you to love them. Love is generally a verb, an action, that you're doing something for someone. How are you going to do that if you don't know the people? Get to know the brothers and sisters in your, in your life, the family of God. Find out about them. Chat after services. Don't shoot off straight away. Get to know people. Find out what they're struggling with and how you can help them in different ways. Stay for church lunches so that you can speak to them. Come to Bible studies so that you can get to know people a bit better there. Come to men's meetings, women's meetings. The women's meeting at this church uh, that they've had two of now, uh, one of their functions is uh, a very good function where they have someone as a centre of attention that night. Very much a female thing to do. No, um, I shouldn't say that. Um, But they have someone in the centre and they ask that person lots of questions, random questions, about them. They're trying to find out about their sisters in Christ, trying to know them, trying to understand what they, they get up to, what they enjoy, and how they can love them appropriately. That's a good thing to do. Practice hospitality. Invite people over to your place. Round a meal, you'll get to know people. Visit one another. When people are in hospital, it's not just the elders that should go and visit the people who are in hospital. Everyone in the church should be eager to see if they can go to the hospital and visit that person and show the love and concern for their sister or brother who is suffering. We should all be interested in one another's lives. We should all want to know one another so that we can love each other. Do you love your fellow Christians, your brothers and sisters, your mothers and fathers in Christ? Do you love Christians because you realise this is the purpose of your sanctification, that you are purified so that you have sincere love for your brothers and sisters? Do you love Christians because you realise that these people are your eternal family, that they will always be around and that They are your family, related by blood. Do you cultivate love for your eternal family? Do you cultivate love by having a deep love, an eager, constant, fervent love for your fellow Christians? And do you cultivate that love by having a heartfelt love rather than just a simple intellectual affirmation that, of course, you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? And do you try and work out who your brothers and sisters are in Christ so you know who they are and then do you work out things about them? You want to know them so that you are able to love them as well as you are able. Let us speak now with our God. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you do not call us to belong to you on our own. But you give us a wonderful family, a large family of people who have the same experiences with us, who have been born again like us, 
and we are connected by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to love our family as we should. Help us to love them deeply, fervently and constantly. Help us to love them wholeheartedly and help us to be able to know each other. Reveal who our brothers and sisters in Christ are to us and help us to want to know them, get to know their needs, talk to them, be a shoulder for them to cry on. Give them encouragement to fight against the sins that they are plagued with. Lord, help us here at Dremoyne Baptist Church to exhibit the love of Christ for one another. We pray this in his name. Amen.